the great cliffhanger of life. You know what a cliffhanger is, right? That's the, that's the, the, the book you've been reading and you come to the end of the chapter and while it's too late and you really should be putting it down, oh, what happens next? I gotta keep reading, right? It's a cliffhanger. It's the television show that you've been watching and maybe it's 30 minutes or 60 minutes and you get to the end of it to be continued. Oh, oh. There was a time when that meant you had to wait seven days until the next episode aired. In many kids' situations, as Netflix bingers know, you can just keep going. You can watch the next episode. Um, cliffhangers, right? Um, it, it, the, when, the, when the producing staff and the writing staff of books or shows or whatever do a good job, um, you, you're thinking about it you know, until the next episode comes along or until you can get to the next chapter. Um, uh, if it's a biggie uh, and it's, it's to be continued next season, like this season ended and it's like, oh my, well then, if they've done their job well, then, you know, the media talks about it and you're talking about it with your friends, right? It's, it's who killed JR, right? Like we just, we just gotta know. Now, some of you have no idea the reference. That's Dallas, 1980. Um, uh, mimicked uh, by uh, Who Killed Mr. Burns, uh, Simpsons, 1995. The one I actually remember, because I was following the series at the time, uh, was from Star Trek The Next Generation, 1990. And that was, did, did Riker kill Captain Picard? He was, he, he was, he was uh, assimilated into the Borg Collective, he was on the ship, and at the end of the season, Captain, uh, Riker, who's acting captain, told, uh, what was his name, uh, uh, Come on, Terry. Worf, Worf, uh, to fire the, uh, the, the weapon at the Borg ship. Did he kill his own captain? Is that what had happened? Um, cliffhanger. We talk about these things. There are some really significant cliffhangers in the pages of Scripture, and we've been looking at a couple of them over the course of these last months. One of them is um, uh, what, happens, what happens at the end of time. Okay, so we were, just before Easter, the few weeks before Easter through Lent, we were talking about what happens at the end of time. Matthew chapter 24, 25, Jesus was speaking about these things. If you're interested in what we said, you can kind of go back and, and check that. They're all saved online. And then we've entered into another one of those big cliffhangers. What happens at the end of this life? What comes next? Cliffhanger. Um, hanging from a cliff. Cliffhanger. That's why they call it cliffhanger. Sorry, kids show. Um, We've been referencing a summary that the Apostle Paul has recounted for us um, at the end of a letter, towards the end of a letter, that he wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, this ancient city on the north shore of the archipelago in, um, in the Mediterranean, um, church that he helped start. He was a church planter. And they've been posing questions and he's been answering them and it's a, con it's a conflicted church, there's troubles going on there. One of the things that they're concerned about, one of the things they're confused about is what comes next after this life. And they've been wanting to know this. Paul starts into chapter 15 and, and I think it's maybe helpful for us to, to start in this place. He's, he starts into chapter 15 with a creed that he's recounting maybe 20 years after the first Easter weekend, but it's a creed that seems to have existed from like a year or two after the first Easter. This is a very early statement of what 
the very first Christians, followers of Jesus, were believing was significant. And so I'm going to invite you to, if you're here, stand with me. You're welcome to stand at home as well, of course, but stand with me and let's just recite this creed. A creed is a statement of, of truths, of beliefs that we hold in common, and, and by reciting them together on a regular basis, we kind of help anchor ourselves in that truth. And here's what they said, and we'll try it together. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and now he presents himself to me. So Lord Jesus, we've gathered this morning to encounter you. We desire that you, through your spirit, would be speaking to us, enlivening, illuminating scripture in ways that would captivate us and stir us, inform us, and move us in these days ahead. We long to follow you. So Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, and you can be seated. So that creed that we just read points to the center of our hope as Christians. If, if someone asks you, well, what is Christianity? You can just point them to 1 Corinthians 15, first bit of it, and, and that would be a very decent summary, at least a very decent starting point. If someone says, tell me what you believe, well, going to 1 Corinthians 15 would be an excellent place to start. In fact, if, if you try to tell them what you believe without the content there, it's going to be incomplete. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The very heart of what we believe. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I've divided it up over three Sundays as part of this series that's going to go six or seven Sundays. Um, but really, 1 Corinthians 15 is a package deal. Like it, it, it begins, there's a bookend that starts it and ends it that I want to draw to your attention this morning because it helps us make sense of this. And, and so I'll pull it up on the screen here, um, a comparison of the first couple of verses and the final verse. Let me read the verses 1 and 2 for you. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, the word means good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now, let me read the final verse and just note the parallels that are present here uh, that suggest it's all connected. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, okay, he's used that term back in verse 1 and 1, stand firm. Well, there's words we've heard before. There's a concept we've heard before. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. There's some new content. Because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So he's given us some, some indicators here concerning what this content is about, what this, this chapter, chapter 15, is about. These bookends repeat these ideas. And, and, and then we kind of, Come away with this summary. The gospel is what saves us. The gospel is what holds us. Stand firm in this. Be rooted in it. And the gospel is what gives our lives meaning. Verse 58. 
And it's between these two bookends that Paul's then been informing this big idea for us. He's clarifying what is the good news? What is the gospel? We looked at that on Easter Sunday. We looked at it just a moment ago in the creed. He explains the resurrection of Jesus, assures us that everyone who belongs to Christ will be resurrected when he comes back. Verse 25. Last Sunday, we we asked specific questions. What is resurrection? This word we pass around. Oh, why was Jesus resurrected? And and then what does this mean for us? You can go back and reference that if you missed it. This morning, I want to take you to the end part of chapter 15. And I want you to see three things that Paul has for us here. Still on this subject of our resurrection hope. But I want you to see this, and I want to just forewarn you, this gets very personal. It's very practical, but it is extremely personal. Here's the outline if you happen to pull it down on the OAC app, or you can pull it down from the website, or we've got sermon notes printed at the back of the sanctuary here if you're in person. But here are kind of three things that we're going to review that Paul has for us. Firstly, what we do in our bodies matters. There's something important about being physical human beings. Secondly, a glorious spiritual body will be yours. This is our hope. Because, point three, the threat of death is now powerless. The threat of death has been neutralized. Here's a a little summary of, of where we're going this morning. If you want your life to matter, follow Jesus and start serving him now. If you want your life to matter, start, follow Jesus and start serving him now. So, so what we do in our bodies matters. I'm referring to what we just read, verses 1-2 and verse 58. These bookends, they set up and answer a question that Paul introduces for us in verse 2. He suggests this. He suggests that it is possible to live your life in a manner that it is useless, that it is unfulfilled, that it is vain. That sounds like a scary possibility. And the key to not living such an existence is found in the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul says, is it true? Yes, absolutely it is true. And the creed that we just read summarizes Paul's assurance, and because he has assurance, he wants to communicate that we can have assurance too concerning these things. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And because Jesus was raised, those who belong to Christ can anticipate being raised too. Verse 23. The big picture summary, if we then go to the the other book and the end of the book end is in 58. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There are many things that we can, could put ourselves to in our lives that at the end of our lives we would say that was vain, that was useless, that was a waste of time. But what you do in Jesus through Jesus, because of Jesus, will matter. When you become his representative in your home, it matters. When you become his representative at your place of work, it matters. On your street, it matters. To the extent that we see ourselves as Jesus' hands, as Jesus' feet, as his representatives, as his emissaries, 
sent on a mission of reconciliation, somehow being his presence in that space, it matters. It matters. Whether you can see, I, you know what, I know, I know it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? it? It's easy to say, I don't know if I made any difference or not. And, and the frank matter, the, the, the answer to, the, to, the, to that is that the, the, we may not know until that day when we are in his presence and all things are made clear. And suddenly the stories that we didn't know were being written will become evident. And we will get to allow that to be part of our expressions of worship to God in those moments on that day. Between these two bookends of it's possible to live a life that doesn't matter, but in Christ your life will matter, therefore serve him, Paul cycles around three times through the subject of resurrection to try to help us better understand what it is and why it matters for us. And here we are in kind of the third capitulation of this, if you will, the third time through this, and it's all moving toward this verse 58. What you do now matters. And it matters in part because there will be a then that is an embodied presence. You will be given a spiritual body after you die. Life after death will be a real place. It will be a conscious active, meaningful existence, and you will need a real body for that existence. It's not going to be sitting on clouds, playing a harp, eating cream cheese. Um, I know that's the popular view of it. Now, just in case I've worried you there, there will be cream cheese in heaven. I'm confident of that. I can't imagine a banquet table that is spread without some cream cheese someplace in the feast. And there will be no, no you know, dairy incon, you know, intolerances or anything like that. You know, that's all going to be taken away. Woohoo! Right? Uh, no gluten restrictions. It's just going to be feast and enjoy. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next Sunday. We're going to, we're going to go into this question, well, what about heaven? What is that going to be like? What do we know? We don't know as much as we wish we knew, uh, but we do know some things, and we're going to take some encouragement from that. But Paul's point here is that we will be embodied. And it's going to be a spiritual body that is equipped for a spiritual existence with him in heaven. But we use that word spiritual and we think ghosts and disembodiment. But it's not that. It's actually going to be a physical existence. But what we do now in the natural existence, in the natural bodies that we have, matters and to get us to, to this place, Paul's going to help us better understand the difference between our natural earthly bodies and our spiritual heavenly bodies. And he says that spiritual heavenly body is going to be a glorious uh, spiritual body, and, and, and he's going to try to help us get our minds wrapped around that. Follow, if you will, verse 35. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When, so I'm just going to pause there for a moment because every time I read that, what a foolish question, I, I choke a little bit on it. I'm like, Paul, you're being a little harsh, man. I think what's going on there is that those who were asking the question, how will the dead be raised, what kind of bodies, were asking it with a sneer. There, there was sarcasm intended, and he's saying, look, it's a foolish question. Because, and then we go on. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it first dies. 
And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on earth. Glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory while the moon and stars each have another kind and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. And in the same way with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Let me just help you follow Paul's train of thought here. Natural body is different from the spiritual body. That's what he's talking about. And to illustrate this, Paul says, look, think of the picture of a seed going into the ground. Here we are, spring. Maybe you've even started planting your garden and there's something under the earth there waiting to come up and the, the moisture here is, yay, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna sprout, it's gonna come. And, and so he uses that as an illustration and he says, as different as the seed is from the plant that grows out of it is the earthly body from the spiritual body that we will have. And then he just comes back to the illustration again. As different as human, human bodies are from animals or birds or fish, as different as the sun is from the moon and the stars, so will be our earthly bodies different from our heavenly bodies. It's going to be similar, but different. It's going to be a 2005 Mustang, not a 1965 Mustang. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, go back to last week's sermon and maybe you'll, you'll, you'll encounter it there. My heavenly body will be like my earthly body, but better. Certainly no more aches, pains. All of that gone. Thank you, Lord. Health, strength, wellness, and more. But let me read on, verse 42. The glorious spiritual body will be ours. He says in verse 42, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So he's kind of coming around us again, but it's kind of hard to miss something here that I think is, is better than just a rabbit trail. I think it's descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it's describing the way things are, not prescribing the way things ought to be. But notice that the language in all of this is describing burial, not cremation. That's interesting. Uh, it's not, again, I think it's descriptive, not prescriptive, but it is following a pattern that we see in the pages of Scripture that I just think is worth thinking about. If I have it my way, when I die, I will be buried, not cremated, because of some of the things that I see here that I think I need to pay attention to. Now, you're welcome and free to make the choices that, that you feel led to make. My encouragement is just make them intentionally and make them thoughtfully because Paul is arguing that what we do in our physical bodies, what we do physically does matter. It, it speaks something, if nothing else. And so I'm not intending to criticize decisions you have made or decisions that you might make in the future. Um, there's, there's no judgment or angst or anything like that in what I'm saying here. But here are three things that we observe about what the scriptures do say about death and burial. Um, one would be that Jesus was buried. That's interesting. Another would be that 
The only place in scriptures where a body was intentionally cremated, it was actually described as an act of judgment by God. Uh, Achan, Joshua chapter 7, uh, King Saul, 1 Corinthians 31. Uh, in the pages of scripture, fire tends to figure judgment. Um, foreign nations commonly practiced cremation, but the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, consistently practiced burial. Um, in fact, they would allow a body to decompose, and then there would be language about gathering their bones together into, and they were literally, literally doing that, putting it into an ossuary box where it would be a place of memorial concerning who the person was and what God did through that individual. Um, interesting is the account of the patriarch Jacob and his son Joseph, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Jacob uh, was embalmed in the Egyptian tradition, but he said, I want my bones to be buried in Israel, in Canaan, in the family tomb where Abraham and his wife and Isaac and his wife had been buried. Joseph said the same thing, but he said, look, but don't take my body there until everyone is taken out. Prophetically, he said, the day is going to come when the children of Israel would be taken out of Egypt and they would be taken back to the promised land. He said, I'm take my body with me because I want to be buried with the family there. There was something, it spoke something in this, even as the Egyptian practice spoke something about what they believed concerning the afterlife. So, it's just fascinating kind of food for thought here for us. Um, that Israelite practice of gathering the bones and putting them in a particular place reminded me of uh, friends who were telling me about their practice. They made the choice to cremate um, because they weren't sure they were always going to be in that location to be able to revisit the grave. And, and so they cremated and then the body came in the urn with them when they relocated. Well, that, that was a thoughtful choice. Um, and so again, the, these, I think this is descriptive, not prescriptive, but it does invite us to think about these things that we're doing, because Paul is saying, he's using it as a metaphor to describe uh, something of spiritual significance, and he's saying what we do in our bodies, what we do physically, does speak something about this. So while I'm meddling, <laughs> um, have you created a will? Um, what about a, a living will? Uh, what about a, a power of attorney? There are some things that, uh, we're talking about awkward things, right? Like who wants to talk about death? Who wants to talk about dying and burying and all that stuff, right? And yet, if we can't talk about it when we're together in the presence of the living God, gathered to worship, thinking about life and death, eternity things, when are we gonna think about these things biblically? What does it mean to be Christian and think about such things. I, I was contemplating all of this and it kind of came to, to mind. I wonder when the last time was that uh, a church built a new church building and included a cemetery with the building of that. I, I, I don't recall it ever even crossing my mind when we built here. But there was a day, and here's the, there was a day when churches were built with cemeteries around them, and it meant that uh, everyone who came to worship came through the cemetery being reminded of those who had died within the last decade or century or centuries uh, that were also worshipers of the Most High God. It was, it was kind of interesting. I'm not making a point here at all. I'm, this is really just the, 
the, the idea that the way we think about such things does migrate, and even over the past 2,000 years of Christendom, we have thought differently, but, but there are some principles that others have held dear that I think we need to make sure we hang on to as well on, on these matters. When you walked through a, a graveyard on your way to church, it did a few things. I mean, one of the things it did was it reminded worshipers that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12.1. Um, there are many who have gone before us who share this faith uh, that, uh, in, in God our Father through the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it, um, it was a reminder for us as worshipers that we come, that our time is short. Uh, the opportunity to fulfill the great commission to, to do the work God would call us to do um, is limited, so we, we want to be attentive to it. The third thing that it would do was for those who were not in a relationship with God, it reminded them the time is short. There's some business that needs to be addressed here. Uh, please do so. Now, I know there are some good reasons for the way we do things now. Uh, I've actually envied First Alliance Church on this one a little bit because they've got a, uh, a, you know, a funeral home uh, just off the corner of their parking lot. I don't know if anybody's ever thought about that <laughs> on their way into church. There's a funeral home. I'm going to worship. How about that? Um, The reality is that death is not natural. And, and I think the concern that I want to just raise is that sometimes it, it would be possible for someone to assume in the practices that we've engaged in in our generations, maybe an attempt to forget the pain of death. An attempt to forget that death is an unwelcome visitor. It is a, an, an intruder in God's good plan. It was never intended to be this way. If you've ever felt the, the deep grief of death, you, there's something in us that rails against this as, no, it ought not be this way. It should not be this way. And that is the truth. That was not God's design. And, and so feeling the grief that is part of our human existence uh, and not just rushing past it, not you know somehow unwittingly Disallowing someone to grieve and work through a grieving process. Uh, we, we want to be those where it is okay to feel the pain of loss, though there's great joy coming, right? We want to rush straight to the great joy, but th th there seems to be something important about also acknowledging the pain that is there. So, so in our practices, maybe you choose to have a celebration of life rather than a funeral, or a memorial service rather than a funeral. Maybe you invite your friends to wear nice colors rather than dress in black. Um, just make sure that in the planning of it, you're not just rushing past something that is vital in the acknowledgement that we are living in a broken and fallen world and funerals ought never have been necessary. But they are. So what do we say in the practices that we engage in? As we lament, as we groan, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3, uh, Paul writes uh, about this body being like a tent. It's fragile. But we are going to, we are anticipating a house that has been built by God for us. And so in, in, our, in our anticipation of going there, we live here and now. We anticipate a spiritual body, but we live in a natural body. And, and something about embodiment and what we do in all of this is important, according to what Paul's saying here. If you come to worship through a graveyard, you can't not contemplate our mortality as we come to worship. 
Death is, un, death is real and it is unwanted, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, death does not get the final say. And this is where Paul has been taking us here. The, the sting of death has been removed. The power of death over us has been ended for any who turn to Jesus because of Jesus. Look at verse 51. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. And let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into mortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That's a shout out to Hosea 13, 14. For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a little more about that next Sunday. What happens between death and that last trumpet? Uh, What is part of this? We don't know as much as we want to, but we know enough that we want to be responsive to it. But here Paul's focusing on this word of encouragement for you and for me. It's our encouragement. Death will not have the final say. And remember, he's saying this in the context of a bigger picture, that the good news is the good news because Jesus really was resurrected. Because he was resurrected, you have the anticipation. You will be resurrected. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you're now among those who belong to Christ and you will be raised from the dead. Verse 23. And not only do you have a hope for a heavenly body, but what you do in your earthly body matters. Here and now. Therefore, we don't grieve as those who don't have any hope, he writes in his his letter to the Thessalonian church. We grieve death, but we we do so with a sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Maybe maybe those words sound a little bit familiar to you. Maybe they're a lot familiar to you. They come from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. And maybe you've stood at a graveside of someone who was dear to you, and you heard those words that come from the hope that Paul is describing for us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let, let, me, let me just read for you what is, is preserved for us in this ancient It's a a, a book of common prayer was a a coaching tool for clergy. It was a coaching tool for congregations in worship that has has lasted through centuries. Uh, here's um, Here's what it says. Then while the earth shall be cast upon the body by some standing by. I don't remember the last funeral that I was at when we actually lowered the casket into the grave and began to shovel dirt onto it. Um, sometimes we're just trying to preserve ourselves too much pain. Anyway, while that's happening, the priest shall say, for as much as it hath pleased almighty God of his great mercy to receive unto himself the soul of our dear brother or sister here departed, 
We therefore commit his or her body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall change our mortal body that it may be like unto his glorious body? According to the mighty working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. Jesus has made this hope sure and certain. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to invite you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus if you've never done so. I'm going to pray and, 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 and we're going to prepare for the celebration of communion together. But I want to invite you to pray along with me, just in your heart, if this reflects your desire this morning. Let's just all bow together, could we please? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for inviting me to spend eternity with you. Thank you for making this possible through your death, burial, and resurrection. I accept your invitation to follow you. Please forgive my sin. Please teach me to walk in your ways with you. Come, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me this morning. I want the rest of my life to be fully about the work of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 